Oh man, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord. I think more than ever, um, just being in God's presence with other believers, being encouraged by his word, strengthened by it, I think there's nothing better that we can do right now. And I really believe that um, in the middle of all the craziness of everything that's happening in the world, there's nothing more than the enemy of our soul would love to do than to divide us and to isolate us and to keep us from doing this. Amen? So good on you. Good to be here with you. I am excited to be in week two of brand new message series that we started last week called In the Fire. And uh, last week, really, I, I think I had one of those uh, pastor father moments where I really just felt like God had been stirring some things in me. And, and if, if you were here and if you heard that message, uh, really, it was, um, I don't know, just a wrestling that I was personally dealing with God and just some things that were on my heart that I really felt like I needed to share with you. So if you missed that message, I just wanna encourage you to go back and watch part one. Today I'm gonna dive into part two. And before I do that, a couple things. Um, first of all, I always wanna start out by welcoming our Hope Church Eureka family. We wanna welcome, can you give it up for our family in Eureka? We love you guys so much. We're so glad you're joining us. And for all those joining us online, I know during the season, you know, many people, for whatever reason, are, are choosing to watch online and join us online. And I just want to say you're a part of this family, too. And we welcome you. We're so glad that you're joining us online. Um, I want to start out, like I have been the last several weeks, with praying for our nation right now, because I believe we're living in some really critical times. And and it is time that the church starts to unite together in prayer. There's something powerful that happens when we pray together, when we gather together and worship together, but also when we pray together. And I believe actually in church, we don't do this enough. There's something powerful about what the Bible calls corporate prayer. And that's when we as the church gather together and we pray together. So what I'm gonna do is in the next 60, 60 seconds, I'm going to pray for our nation. And what I wanna ask you to do is I want you to join me in that prayer. And what that means is that as I'm praying, you're praying with me and you're praying out loud, just like we sang and we worshiped God and we lifted our voice. I want you to pray with me by lifting your voice and praying out of your own heart for our nation. You got it? As we would say um, in the Bronx, capiche? <laughs> so, all right, we're gonna pray and I want you to pray with me. Are you ready? All right, Jesus, we thank you that... You're the only hope for our world right now. You're the only hope for our nation. And God, we ask you to forgive us as a nation that we have gone astray, that we've gone our own way. We've turned our back on you in so many ways, God. And we pray and ask right now that you forgive our country. And God, that you would hear from heaven and that you would forgive us of our sins and that you would bring healing to our land, bring healing to our nation. Father God, I wanna lift up our president, President Trump to you. I wanna pray for him and Vice President Pence, God. I pray that you would surround them with your presence today, God, that you would give them heavenly wisdom. God, that you would give them wisdom as they're leading our country right now in these unprecedented times. Father God, I pray that you surround him with godly men and counsel. And God, let your word be his guiding light, Father, as he leads our country. God, I wanna pray for the church in this great nation. God, that you would awaken us, God, 
that you would awaken us, that you would awaken us in this season, God, that we're in. And God, I pray once again that you would bring revival to our nation. God, we pray for the great revivals like Azusa Street and the Jesus Movement. God, that there would be another wave of your spirit that would sweep across this nation, God, that would awaken people into your life, God. God, you are the only hope for us. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. That's good. Um, I am believing with all my heart that during this, the craziness of this season too, that as we gather, as we worship, as we pray, that we can either buy into the fake news in the media um, or we can tune into the still small voice of the Lord and I believe that God is doing some things um, that if we get too distracted, we'll miss out on. And so I just wanna encourage you to keep your ear to um, the Lord during this season, as I've tried to do myself, and to um, focus, I keep hearing that, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith, amen? Amen, all right, I'm gonna jump back into Daniel. We are still in Daniel chapter one. As I am... Um, as I study and prepare for each sermon, um, I really seek God as to what he would say to his church in every season that we're in. And I believe that God specifically chose uh, this book for us to glean in during the season that we're in. And when I prepare for a message series, I start with the text. I believe the biblical approach to preaching is we let, I let the text speak, the Bible speak. I don't use the Bible to say what I wanna say. I say what we read in the, in the Bible and let the text preach itself. And so I believe there's a lot that we can glean from Scripture even thousands of years later that it is relevant, it is still relevant to today. People are people. 2,000 years ago or now, people are people and God is God, amen? And so I believe that there's a lot that we can glean from the Scripture that we're gonna read. But I also, I start with the text, I, I, I read some commentaries and then I also glean from some good books that are on the topic that I'm on. And I just want to share a couple with you. Uh, the first one is this. It's called The Daniel Dilemma by Pastor Chris Hodges, who pastors the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, the subtitle of this book is how to, how to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. It's a really good book. I've gleaned a lot as I've prepared for these messages in this series. Uh, the next one is, I believe, a very critical book for um, where we are at in America, uh, the author is David Kinnaman. He is the CEO and president of the Barna Research Group, which is a Christian research group um, that does research on Christianity and culture in our world. And he wrote this book called You Lost Me. And the subtitle is Why Young Christians Are Leaving the Church and Rethinking Faith. And I believe right now, and as you'll hear in, in my message, that I believe there is an attack on young people and the enemy is trying to steal them away from God. And so I think there's some things that we can glean as the church from gleaning from the research that has been done. Another good book is called Good Faith. It is also by David Kinnaman and co-authored by Gabe Lyons. And it's uh, subtitled, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You're Irrelevant and Extreme. Um, one last one is called Unchristian, again, authored by David Kinnaman. And it's uh, what a new generation really thinks about Christianity 
and why it matters. So there's some a good books, suggestions for you if you are stirred to really, and I believe as the church, God is trying to awaken us to the reality of where, where we, the state of the church and culture right now and how we've let culture infiltrate the church, our thinking, our identities, and the way that we do life and the way that we follow Jesus. And so I believe we can also, and we are going to glean from this first chapter. So what I wanna do, something a little different, I wanna ask you, if you would, to honor the word of God this morning. If you'll take a stand for the reading of scripture and honor scripture, would you do that? I believe the scriptures are holy. I believe we gather around the Bible because it is holy scripture and that there is life to it. And so I wanna honor the word of God this morning as I read it to you. And I want you to listen to these words and then we're gonna unpack it a little bit here. Daniel chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, uh, sorry, king of Judah, at, uh, king of Judah, and into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God, then he carried it off the temple of his gods, Babylonia, and put it in the treasure house of his God. In verse three, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the, some of the uh, Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And here's the key verse for today. But Daniel resolved not to be defiled, to not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray today that your word would change us, it would convict us, it would transform us, Father, I pray that you would anoint me as I preach your word this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people. God, let us not leave here the same that we came in this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. I believe that um, there's a couple of things that we can glean from this passage of Scripture. I believe the heat is on, isn't it? In fact, the title of my message, this is part two of the message titled, The Heat Is On. Right now, I believe we are in the crosshairs of the, in the middle of the heat of the battle. And if, I think for a lot of us, we weren't necessarily prepared for the speed at which this battle is coming at us. And I think we have to prepare ourselves quickly for that battle and realize that there is a very real battle, there is a very real war raging for the, our personal souls, for the church, and for our country, and that if we don't stand for what we believe, know what we believe, 
stand for what we believe and stand firm in those convictions that we are at risk of not only drifting away from God, drifting away as the church, but we are watching our country drift away from the one true God. And if the church does not take a stand, we are really in trouble of losing our country. And, and, and I believe that God in the middle of this is awakening his church to some things. And the first one is this, that we have to recognize that we are in the middle of this battle. In fact, Jesus tried to prepare us that we have a very real enemy in John 10.10. He said this, and here's the contrast between what Jesus wants to bring you and what the enemy of our soul wants to accomplish in your life and my life. He said this, the thief comes to do three things. Only his sole mission, when you woke up this morning, he wants to steal the life that God put in you. He wants to kill it and completely destroy the call of God on your life and the purpose of God in your life. And he wants to do the same thing in the church. And he wants to do the same thing in this great nation that I believe that God was founded on this, or this nation was founded on. Amen? Now, Jesus contrasting what the enemy wants to do. And this, this is what I want to encourage you this morning. In the middle of all this, that there is a God that came, and he continues to come. And he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So God doesn't just want to give you life. He wants to give you more than enough life. In fact, that word uh, means abundance. He wants to bring abundant life to you so that you don't have just enough for yourself, but you have enough for your neighbor and your coworker. You have enough for your spouse. You have enough for your kids. You have enough for people in your church, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, that you are overflowing with the life that God has. And that's my prayer for you. As I pray for you, I pray that as we gather, the life of God gets poured out into you and so that you leave this place full of the abundant life of Jesus and that it's not just enough to sustain you, but it is enough to continue to fill you and to overflow into everybody that you come in contact with. I believe that that's when the church is gonna make its greatest impact. The problem is, if we're honest with each other, most of the time we're not full of that life. And why is that? I believe because the things of this world, we have allowed them to creep in and slowly over time draw us away from that life. Yeah. Now in Daniel, the Bible says that, that, that um, Babylon besieged Jerusalem, God's holy people. Now, if you look at that word siege, there's some things I think that we can glean from this morning by looking at this definition as to some of the tactics, because we're going to look at the way the enemy tried to take Daniel and his friends and to completely change them and to draw them away from that very life that God already put in them, placed on them, the call and purpose on their life. And he tried to draw them away from that life. And I, I think we can glean from this story and we can learn some things to prepare ourselves for how the enemy is gonna come, try to come in like a flood. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God that in the middle of the enemy coming like a flood, he raises up a standard against the enemy. He puts us and sets us on a rock and he keeps us sheltered from the storms. He's still the God that speaks to the storms in our soul and says, peace, be still. But look at this word siege. It is the act or process. Now, look at that, it's a process that means it happens slowly and over time of surrounding and attacking a fortified place 
in such a way as to, there's three things you're gonna see happen here. Isolate it from help and supplies for the purpose of lessening resistance to the defenders and thereby making, it, making capture possible. Three things, I'm gonna break it down for you. Slowly over time, what they did is they surrounded the people of God and what they didn't do is they didn't let help come in or supplies come in. Now I believe as the church right now, we need more than anything, we need each other and we need the power and the presence of God. We need the helper. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being our help, being the helper. And yet, I don't know why, but many churches are trying to leave out the Holy Spirit in their church. And I believe that is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make right now as the church is to leave the power and presence of God. The very thing that Jesus said, I'm gonna give you this gift and it's gonna be in you and on you and it's gonna help you in life. It's gonna be your power source. It's gonna be your life. It's gonna give you guidance, direction. It's gonna comfort you when you're down, when you're depressed, when you're feeling anxious, the helper is there. And the enemy wants to try to cut you off from that power. And I believe if he can cut that power out of the church, then he can isolate us. And that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to isolate us from that power and he wants to isolate us from each other. Now, last week I spoke a little bit into the mask or no mask debate and whichever side you fall on that, I, 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 I hope you heard my heart. The most important thing is that we don't forsake doing this. We don't forsake gathering. Why? Because I believe that when we do that, we fall right into the hands of the enemy. He said, now I got you because I'm gonna isolate you from each other. We need each other more than ever right now. The second thing is after he isolates us from help and from supplies, from provision, for the purpose of what? Lessening our resistance. So what he does is over time is he wears you down little by little by little. He wears down our resistance until he finds an opening that he can come in and he can make capture possible. And that's exactly what they did to Daniel and his friends. And that's exactly the same tactic the enemy is trying to do to us today that we need to be aware of. So there's, there's four things that I have for you that I believe that we can glean from this passage, four C's that we can glean from this passage in Daniel. And the first one is this. He wants to capture you when you're young. He wants to capture you when you're young. And I encourage you, and I'm so glad that there is young people in our service today. It's one of the things I love about having our kids in worship with us because I believe that the enemy has a plan. Now think about your life, think about my life. I want, I want to give you some context for the scripture that we read this morning in Daniel chapter one. Daniel and his friends just witnessed and watched. They were part of the royal family. That means that their destiny someday was to be the kings, the princes of Israel. They were the, they were the next generation to lead God's chosen people. That was their destiny. Now, as Babylon came in and captured the city, they watched their own family, their mothers, their fathers, some of their brothers and sisters, destroyed, slaughtered, killed, right in front of their eyes. Right in front of their eyes. Could you imagine how traumatic that must have been to watch their very own family, their mothers and fathers killed right in front of them as they were bound up and forced to watch that happen. They watched as the God that they served, the God that they believed was the most powerful God, a good God, how God allowed Babylon to come in 
to destroy the holy place, the temple of God, to destroy the church of the modern day, and to not only destroy it, but to steal some of the holy artifacts and the treasuries of God and bring it back to their gods and put it in the house of their gods. In their minds, this was, this was a traumatic experience. Think about how that wounded them. Not only that, they're bound, captured, and taken back to a foreign land where they are forced to serve under an evil ruler who served foreign gods. And by the way, they were, they were between the ages 12 and 16, most scholars believe, when this happened. It says in Daniel 1.4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. This was the best of the best. These were God's chosen for the future, the destiny. And the enemy knew that, and he thought, if I can get them young, and if I can capture them young, I can turn them against God. And we're going to look at some ways he does that. Think about it for a minute. I want you to think about your life personally now. I love that even though this story happened, this historical account happened so many thousands of years ago, that today, that we can experience and we can look at our own life and see how the enemy works. Think about how the enemy tried to capture you when you were young. He does the same thing to you. Young people, you need to listen to this. because this. Let me show you and break down to you how he works. When you're young, he tries to bring wounding into your life. Divorce, abuse, things that, things that happen to you, events, car accidents, th things that, unspeakable evil things that happen to you, not, not because of any other reason than, than sin is rampant in our world. And people get hurt as a result of sin. People do unspeakable damage to other people, evil things, terrible things that, that we, I wouldn't even begin to talk about in this setting. But many of you have been the victims of those things. You experienced the wounding when? When you're young. Now, my parents divorced when I was two years old. And I can tell you that for years I didn't understand why. Now, now let me just say, I want to honor my mother and father. I love them dearly. They did the best that they can with what they knew to do with, and God used all things for good in my life because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. In fact, some of those things now have shaped me into the man that I am today, and I'm, and I'm grateful for them, actually. But back then, they hurt me deeply. They wounded me, and what happens is when the enemy wounds you, he allows wounds to come into your life, and then what he does, instead of capturing you and coming at you with a chain, and with handcuffs, because you know better than that, when you see somebody coming at you with a chain or handcuffs, you're not gonna let them capture you that way. He doesn't come at you that way. Instead, he comes at you. The Bible talks about him being an angel of light, and he's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He comes like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. So what he does, he doesn't come with you with a chain to capture you. He comes alongside you and says, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe God let that happen to you. See, God's not good. If he was good, he would have never have let that happen to you in your life. He's like, come on, come over here with me. I'm gonna take care of you. Let, let's look at a little porn. That will make you feel better. Let, let's, let's try some drugs or alcohol. Let, let's, let's, have, let's have sex and that will ease the pain inside of you. That will make you feel better. And so we buy into the lies of the enemy. We start believing that God isn't for us. He's against us. And how could a good God allow something so terrible to happen to me? And so we buy into the lie. And we get hooked on it. 
And that's how we get strung out on drugs and addicted to different drugs or alcohol or sin. And we find ourselves stuck in these sinful habits. And after a while, what happens is then he starts after we buy into the lie and we, we start engaging in the behavior and in the sin, now he's got you in his grip. And then he reaps condemnation on top of you and guilt and shame. And then he starts telling you that you are what you do. And so your identity starts to form against everything that you do and the sin that you're trapped in. And over time, you start believing that you're something that God never created you to be. And too many young people get stuck in sinful habits and get patterns built into their life that even, even as we come into Christ, we struggle to break free from because the enemy knows that if he could capture you young, he can capture you. Even statistically, I'll tell you, and this is one of the reasons that we feel so strongly that when those kids leave here, we have, we have you stand and clap to not only honor our kids' ministry workers, but to honor our kids. That's the future in there. They're the brightest. They're, that is the seed of God in those rooms right now. And that's, we take that serious. That's why when we ask you to sponsor kids to go to, to, go to go to youth camp, it's because lives are changed. Young people's lives are changed at youth camp forever, for eternity. And we need your help. We need people that would have a heart to sow into that generation. Do you know, statistically speaking, that two-thirds of, of people that become Christian, they do so before their 18th birthday. Two-thirds. Do you know that the percentage, the chances of somebody coming to faith drop so significantly that only 23% over the age of 21 get converted to the Christian faith? See, the enemy knows if he can capture them young, and we know this, many of us, we, we know this because we were young and and the enemy came at us and he captured us and we still feel the residual pain from what he brought into our life and how he tried to capture us. The second C is this. He tries to change the way we think. He tries to change the way we think. Look in, in Daniel chapter one, not that verse. The one where he, I believe it's uh, verse, yes, verse four, thank you. He was, listen, to the end of this verse, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. In other words, he was trying to take everything that they had learned. Now, growing up in the royal palace, they were taught in the ways of God. They knew the Torah. They knew the Bible. They, um, they were groomed, if you will, to lead God's chosen people, Israel. And Babylon knew that. And so King Nebuchadnezzar knew that. So he wanted to quickly unwind and train them in their ways and, and get that thinking, get God out of their mind. And so he started by training. Do you know what their training was? Their training was astrology and the occult. That was their training. So they're taking everything that they had known about God and starting to train them up. Now, if you look at our culture and society today, look at how much things have changed over the last 50 years. Again, the enemy doesn't come at you with astrology and the occult, what he does is he tries to lower our resistance by slowly infiltrating us with music, entertainment, movies, TV, all that. Now, hear my heart. None of these things are bad in and of itself. In fact, I believe that, that as followers of Jesus, that part of the problem with the entertainment industry is not enough godly people have gone into the entertainment industry to influence that culture. 
in our society in that way. And there's some great godly movies out there and there's some great movies, man. I, I mean, the other day we watched, you know, Star Wars with our kids and it's, it's amazing, it's fun and all that stuff. But what I'm saying is we have to be careful. If you look at how things have shifted, back 50 years ago, divorce, infidelity, um, just sexual promiscuity, it, it was taboo. You didn't talk about those things. Those things weren't on TV. Now, slowly over time, culture has lowered our resistance to say what is evil is good and good evil. And now it wants to get in our young people to lower them down. There's so many times, like if you go on Apple iTunes right now and you look at the top 10 uh, songs that are out on iTunes, I guarantee you at least seven out of those tens are gonna have this little square E for explicit. There's some times where our kids are listening to stuff, they don't, even, they don't even realize what they're listening to, but those words are getting, we're trying to teach them those words are getting in your soul. They're lowering your resistance and making you think that, hey, this is okay. And slowly over time, this is the way our culture starts to get in us and to lower our resistance and to take what is holy and bring it in and, and make it uh, secular and lead us away from the power and the presence of God, and we get sucked into it. Little by little by little. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse two. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There is a pattern to this world. There's a pattern that this world is trying to conform us to, to shape us, to pull us away from the pattern that God would have us follow. Now, interesting that word besiege in the Hebrew it means to press against or to press upon. And I was thinking about that's exactly what this scripture is talking about, that the world wants to press upon us its values. It wants to shape us according to its pattern. It kind of reminds me, how many of you remember Silly Putty? Maybe some good old Silly Putty? I love Silly Putty. Silly Putty was pliable, but, but what you could do with Silly Putty is what it gets pressed against it conforms to. So if you press it against a certain shape, it's gonna take on that shape. If you press it against a newspaper, it's going to take the words and it's gonna mirror what's in that print and it's gonna take on those words. That's exactly what our culture is trying to do to us. It is trying to squeeze us and press us against its pattern so that we take on its shape, that we look more like it, we think more like it, we speak more like it, and slowly over time, we start to conform to the pattern of this world. And what's the answer? The answer is this. We need to be renewed. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is why so many people, I don't, they come to me all the time as a pastor, Pastor Lance, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Can I tell you what God's will is for your life? This is free of charge. This will save you hours and hours of counseling. This is God's will for your life right here. Everything in this book is your will, is God's will, sorry, for, that's the problem, we want our will. We wanna tell God our will and not let God show us his will. His will is right here, right in front of us. This is how we are transformed. We gotta be renewed in our mind because here's what happens. The way we think becomes how we behave. And so we let things in the world get in. If, if we lower our resistance and promiscuity, sexual promiscuity becomes normal, 
and we lower our resistance to that, then we're gonna act out on it. Oh, it's just okay, God will forgive me. And as we behave, we start to build our identity on who we are, and it reinforces who we are. So as we think, we behave, as we behave, we start to shape, and the enemy starts to tell you who you are, which leads me to my next C. He wants to confuse your identity. He wants to confuse your identity. Now, actually, the word Babylon, the word Babel means to confuse. And every single pagan culture, there's always been sexual confusion, sexual identity confusion. Now, you look at our world right now, and honestly, it is scary when, when parents are letting children decide what sex they want to be. That's confusion. That is basically saying, God, I'm not going to let you tell me who I am. I'm going to determine who I am. If I want to be a male or female or both or whatever I want to be, I'm choosing my identity and it's rejecting God as the one who formed you and shaped you in your mother's womb, who knows every hair on your head, who named you, who has a plan and purpose and destiny greater from you. How many are in this room right now that are thankful that God plucked you out of hell and pulled you away from this world? Now, he gave you a new name. Now, look at I want to show you something that is so absolutely critical because you have to understand that, that God knew you, formed you, has plans for you. He's got an identity for you, and there's nothing more than this world would love to do than pull you away from that identity and give you a new name, put shame on you, identify you as a sinner, Look at the names he changed. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now look at, we're gonna break down each one of these names. Look at their God-given name. This is, this is the God-given name to them, and this is what it changed to. From Daniel to God is my judge to a new name, Belshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. He tried to change him from being male to female and from God is my judge whom I'm gonna serve to I'm gonna protect this earthly king who's a godless evil king. And I'm gonna identify more with a lady than a male. So what he wanted to do over time, every time that name was said, Belshazzar, that he started to, um, he started to conform to that identity and that name, and over time, he started to take on a new identity apart from the identity God gave him. Yes. And you can see that happening rampantly in our culture today, yes. even infiltrating the church. Look at Hananiah. From Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious to me. God has been good. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. To, to Shadrach, I am fearful of God. He wanted to take away, God is good. He's gracious to me. He's a loving God. To, I'm afraid of God. Now, not in a healthy fear of God, but in an unhealthy fear of God. Now, look at our culture today. If there's anything that the enemy is trying to do is separate people from God, thinking God is mad at me. He's disappointed at me. He hates me. He's not for me. He's against me. Why? Because I'm a sin. Because I bought into the enemy's lie. I, I took the bait. I was hurt. I was wounded. And I believe that God is not good. And I don't need the church. And I'm afraid of those people. They're going to judge me if I go to church. Because God 
is somebody to be afraid of. He's not somebody gracious. He's not loving. He's not kind. So it's pushing away. Satan's pushing away people from the goodness and the graciousness of God. Look at Mishael. Mishael was who is what God is. This is his name. Who is like God. Now, Mishael, every day, imagine getting up and his name spoke something over him. It was his identity. I am like God. The Bible says that we are made in his image, in his likeness. Like we were, ma- we were made to be like God. We were made in his image, in his likeness. And now they want to shift it and change it to Meshach, which means I am of little account, despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Look at that. He wants to... The enemy wants to belittle you. Look at you, you're you're nothing. You're despised. Look at you. How can you even call yourself a Christian? How can you even come and worship God? How can you even show up to church? Look at what you did. Look at your life. You're despised. You're contemptible. And you should be humiliated to even call yourself a Christian. And look at the last one, Azariah. It meant Yahweh has helped. God is my help. Where does my help come from? It comes from God. And he changed the name to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. Now, that may not mean much to you, but can I tell you that, that in Babylon culture, the god Nebo was the god of wisdom. Look at our Western civilization, Western culture today, and look at how we have um, elevated wisdom, we've elevated education, we've elevated mental ascent to knowing about God and even philosophy and debate and all those things have uh, in our culture run so rampant and even gotten into the church that many people think a relationship with God is knowing about God and knowing the Bible. In other words, having a mental assent that, yeah, I believe we have taken true faith and we have, it's been distorted into a mental assent of agreeing with, mentally agreeing with, Yes, pastor, I agree with what you said. That's not real faith. I hate to break the news to you, but real faith is believing, and believing has to lead to walking out and stepping out, action. James said it, said it best. He said, faith without works is dead. So you can't mentally agree with a truth and not implement it or walk it out in your life. Listen, this is where in the church we're losing our power. Because we're coming every week and we're saying yes and amen, I agree with that. And all it is is a mental ascent. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Believe it in your mind, but not walk it out in your life. The power comes through walking it out in our life. The truth is to get us to believe, to implement it and walk it out in our life. If we never walk it out, if we never do it, the power to do it isn't released. This is, this is what's keeping so many of you in your seats and not engaging in what God has for you. And some of you need to step out in faith. And I, I, I hope this message just gets, I don't know, it gets in you, it stirs you. Because too many people, Christians, have been sitting in the pews for years. They know this word here, but they've never stepped out in faith, in action, and wondered, well, I just don't feel comfortable teaching a kid's ministry. I don't feel comfortable teaching youth. I don't know how to do that. Well, maybe God is waiting for you to take what you know and to put it into action. And when you actually put it into action, then he's gonna give you the empowerment, the grace of God, the anointing to do what he's called you to do. 
But you got to step out in it. The last C is this. We can't compromise our convictions. But that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Slowly, listen, over time, he wants you to just give in just a little bit. Like, it's okay. It's okay to watch this. It's okay to listen to that. It's okay to, you know, go this far sexually. It's all right to just dabble in this a little bit. Look at Daniel 1.5. It said, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. This was the choicest food. This was the best of the best. And yet, it was offered and sacrificed to their gods. It wasn't clean. It was completely against everything that they had been taught. Yet, there's nobody around. It's just them. They could even say, well, I was forced to eat this food. But they didn't. What happened? It says in Daniel 1.8 that Daniel resolved he resolved himself not to be defiled with the royal food and wine. Now, you might think, well, that's no big deal. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. It's no big deal to eat the food. Who's going to know? It's just some food. God can keep me pure. He can keep me clean. But slowly, the enemy wants to lower your resistance and let you compromise one conviction and then it's so much easier just to compromise a little bit more. And then to compromise a little bit more. And before you know it, you've fallen so far away from God. And too many people are wondering, how did I get here? I can tell you, because I've done it. It's that I've compromised my conviction. I've let the world just lower my resistance a little bit. I've let it in just a little and thinking that's okay, I can, I can handle this. And, and then I've let it in a little bit more. I think it's time that if we don't take this serious, if we don't resolve to stand firm in our faith, we're gonna fall. We're gonna fall. I believe as we close that there's something that God wants to do in you something that God wants to do in me, that he's awakening us. He's opening our eyes. I believe, honestly, I think our hearts have been calloused. Our eyes have gotten dim. We haven't seen these things as they really are. And if we're gonna be honest with each other, we've allowed the enemy to just slowly pull us away from that life that God has. I believe there's some young people here, maybe even some of you watching online, that today's the day that you need to, to resolve. A, a resolve comes from the word resolution. It means in your spirit, you say beforehand, before I know that I'm gonna be faced with the temptation, I've already resolved in my spirit. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna stand for my convictions. I'm gonna stand up in a world that bends. I'm gonna be one who's willing to stand up and stand out. So that's the problem with Christianity. We want to blend in too much today. We want to be just like everybody else. You were never called to be just like everybody else. My Bible says that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. The word holy means to be set apart. How can we ever stand out if we never stand up? God is looking for some godly men and women and some young people who are willing to take a stand 
in the middle of the heat of the battle. And I'm wondering, one of the things I love about our church is it's an intergenerational church. There's multiple generations here worshiping Jesus together. I'm wondering if we, older generations, we need to lean into the younger generation. Some of us need to get out of our comfort zones and stop thinking so much about us and our own world, our own families, our own lives, and think about the next generation. Every single time Israel, God's chosen people, lost a generation, evil ran rampant. We are on that brink of losing a generation. And it's gonna take the church to wake up to the realization for parents, for dads. That's why, man, fellas, coming Friday night to the Promise Keepers event, this isn't just an event. This is sowing into who you are as a man, a man of God. This is who you are sowing into a father, desperate, even if, even if you don't have kids. Man, th this generation is desperate for spiritual fathers and mothers that will come alongside the generation and say, I'm gonna stand with you. You may not even be strong enough to stand, but I'm gonna hold you up. I'm gonna link arms with the next generation and I'm gonna stand firm. Are you ready to do that? I'm gonna read this last scripture to you. And then I'm gonna ask you, if you're really ready to do that, if you'll take a stand, if you'll stand to your feet. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, therefore, put on the full armor of God. This is what we need, church. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after all you've done, everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the word of God, with the breastplate of righteousness, knowing what Jesus did for you on the cross, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I wanna ask you this, I want you to close your eyes for a minute. I believe there's some of you here, maybe you're watching online. Some of you that you need Jesus to heal you. And when I say heal you, I mean heal you of sin, heal you of brokenness, heal you of destructive behavior. Some of you, you've been wounded when you were young and the enemy got his fangs inside of your soul. And Jesus on the cross disarmed all the power of hell. But you gotta do something. You gotta cry out for Jesus. The one who would go through anything to rescue you out of that place. He came and he gave his life on the cross. He died a gruesome, bloody death. And he took on all sin on his body and he crucified it to a cross. And as his blood shed, he offers you forgiveness of sin. And with that forgiveness, healing from brokenness. He can break the chains of guilt and shame and everything that the enemy would try to put on you to tell you who you are. But you gotta be willing to surrender your life. If you wanna become a Christian today, if you wanna follow Jesus, if you wanna surrender your life to him, I believe there's some of you that you made that decision a long time ago but today is the day that you come home. You recommit your life to Jesus. 
So I want us all to pray this prayer together. Jesus, thank you. Come on, say it loud. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for my life. Thank you that you went to the cross as me, for me. Thank you for your blood that was shed for me to forgive my sin and to set me free. Will you forgive me, cleanse me, and free me from the chains of my past, from all my brokenness? Will you heal me? Will you make me new? Come into my life now. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to ask you something important. Who's willing to take a stand? Are you willing to take a stand? Now, that, don't take this lightly, but I want to ask you, if you're willing to stand in faith for Jesus, if you, if you want to resolve in your heart, I'm done messing around with the things of this world. I'm going to stand and I'm going to stand alone for Jesus. Would you just stand to your feet right now? Stand to your feet. Make this be a declaration of the goodness of God that Jesus, you rescued me out of sin and destruction. And now because you stood for me, you stood on Calvary's hill and you, you gave yourself to that cross that I could stand before you today fully free, fully forgiven, fully surrendered because of your reckless love for me, because you love me so much that you would go through anything to rescue me. I'm gonna stand for you. I'm gonna take a stand today in Jesus' name. 